Thank you for joining us for this Sunday School session on the I Am Statements of Jesus. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. Okay, good morning to all. Um, It has come to this I Am this morning. I Am the True Vine. And we find this in chapter 15. Um, As William has taught us, we need to get into our context to really understand what's going on here. This is part of a conversation that begins in chapter 13 and goes all the way through chapter 18. And we find ourselves in the middle of that uh, in chapter 15. So uh, the context is that this takes place in the upper room. Uh, at the Last Supper, uh, and it begins with Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Um, And uh, it continues uh, as they leave the Last Supper and make their way across the valley, up the hill to the garden. And it continues in the garden as they're there. And it only ends with the arrival of Judas and the temple guard. So what we have uh, in this overall conversation is the last night of Jesus with his disciples uh, before his death. And in a real sense, this whole context is a farewell sermon in a real real sense. Uh, In the Greek, it looks like this. Again, we have our ego ami, which we're becoming very familiar with. But in the Greek uh, sentence structure, it is, I am the vine true. Now, for three years now, Jesus has been trying to show his disciples in every possible way who he is, really. And he's trying to prepare them for the work that he has for them to do once he is removed and gone from them. And knowing that Uh, he will be away from them very soon. He is concerned for their future. He knew that they would be tempted to return to Moses and the law. So he tells them how necessary it is to adhere to him by faith and to abide in him. He also knew that they would be tempted to separate from one another. This would make them less conspicuous and less maybe a target for the persecution. And so he impressed upon them to love one another and to keep that communion which they had. And he also knew that they would be tempted to shrink from their apostleship or their leadership roles as the world leaned on them heavily. And so he prepares them to bear the shock of the world's persecution. So within this extended text, Uh, and conversation, we have our passage. So if I could have somebody read, this is our passage for today. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. 
for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done to you for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Yes. That is our, our passage uh, that we'll deal with today. So Jesus here employs another metaphor. He has used all these various metaphors. This metaphor, as, as always, would be very familiar to his disciples. Uh, the shepherds, uh, those things which he's used before, would be, uh, are, and, un, and not unlike that, this one would be very familiar to them. The grapevine... Uh, uh, the grapevine was a well-established symbol uh, in Israel. When Noah exited the ark, one of the first things he did was he planted, planted the vine. Uh, in the apocryphal book of Enoch, <laughs> we learn of Herod's temple, the second temple, that it had a doorway that had a vine motif. A golden vine stood over the entrance to the sanctuary, trained over posts. And whoever gave a leaf or a berry or a cluster as a free will offering, he brought it and the priests would hang it thereon. So you see the priest on the side there going up, the, going up a ladder or something like that. Anyway, this was the, the second temple. This is a temple that would have existed uh, in Jesus' time. And this feature was one of the most uh, remarkable of all the temple precincts was this, this doorway. Uh, there's something called a mido, which is a a book of ter interpretation of Jewish scriptures, and it also mentions uh, this temple, uh, the temple feature, this door. Okay, uh, it, it was also the national emblem for the Maccabees and the Hesmoneans. And these were the rulers in Israel during the intertestamental period. Pastor talked to us about Antiochus Epiphanes IV, and he had captured and conquered much of the land. And Judas Maccabeus warred against them and won back some of the land. This, this, is, uh, this took place during the intertestamental period. The Hasmoneans came after the Maccabees and were sort of Herod's, Herod's people. Um, but this was an image uh, that was very famous. In fact, it was on their coins. This is a coin from the period, and it's hard to make out, but it has the image of a grapevine on the coin. Now this is a modern-day Israeli coin, and you can see that the vine motif is still present even on the coins today. And so not only was it on the front of the temple and they had it on their coins, but it became a motif that was used in the mosaics on the floors of synagogues. So the vine was very much present in the life and the, and the worship of, of Israel. Um, and so when Jesus uses this, it's something that they would have in their head and be very familiar with, uh, familiar with already. Now, also, there are grapevines growing on the hill of Olivet. So as they cross the valley and they head up the hill to the garden after dinner, uh, they're going past grapevines. And somebody suggested that there was probably even a vine growing on the house uh, where they were meeting in the upper room. And it may have been visible as it crossed across. And they're saying, well, this is why Jesus brought up the vine, because there, the vine was there, he saw it, and it just came into his head. Well, 
Put that away, because that's ridiculous. <laughs> Jesus is not talking about grapevines. <laughs> uh, he is using the vine as an example, as the metaphor, but he is not talking about grapevines. Instead, what he is doing is he is, in, he is contrasting the Old Testament concept of Israel as God's vine and God as the vine dresser. And he is contrasting that old covenant with the new covenant. And that's what he's doing in this metaphor. There's always a contrast. I am the light, not the darkness. I am the door, not like the thieves and robbers who climb over the wall. I am the good shepherd, not the shepherds that have been leading you astray all this time. And then last, last week we learned, you know, I am, the, I, uh, I am the way. The way is opposed to the dead end. I am the truth as opposed to the false. And of course, he is life eternal as opposed to death eternal. So there's always a contrast. And he's contrasting the greater to the lesser. And so we have that same thing here. I am the true vine, not that vine that was Israel. Uh, In fact, the prophet Isaiah lays this out for us. Now I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vines. He expected it to produce good fruit, but it produced only worthless ones. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And this was something that they understood. And Jesus is making a contrast between these, this vine, which was, not, which was a, a, a lesser vine, a, a corrupted vine. Uh, okay. The psalmist even lamented. Now, if we if we read on in Psalm eighty, Psalm eighty says, "You brought us from Egypt like a grapevine. You drove out the pagan nations and transplanted us into your land." But if you read on in Psalm eighty, you get to the "but now," <laughs> and that's the problem, isn't it? God was the vine dresser. He gave Israel every chance to bear good fruit. Clearing the stones, putting a wall around it, all the things that he did for Israel to have them bear fruit. Uh, And they did, they bore, they bore none. So he took away their wall. He, uh, he left it unprotected and it was trampled down by the foreign nations. And as I was reading this a couple of days ago, it dawned on me that, does this sound a little bit familiar? Like what's happening here now? Uh, Somebody's taken away a wall and uh, things are getting out of hand. Anyway, I'm just, I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> and finally, we get to the prophet Jeremiah. How did you grow into this corrupt wild vine? Jesus chose the figure of a vine for two reasons, basically. First of all, as we've been seeing, it contrasts the old vine, which was Israel. It contrasts that vine with the new vine which is Christ. That is one of the reasons for it. But the other reason for it is it describes the necessity of our being vitally connected to Christ in order to produce any fruit. And knowing the the way vines grow and what's necessary for the vines, they would have understood this this connection that just has, has to be. Now there is a true vine. No longer does blessing come through a a covenantal relationship with Israel. 
Fruit and blessing come through connection to Jesus Christ. And that's what he's trying to that's what he's trying to tell them. Jesus is the true vine. In scripture, the word true is often connected with things that are eternal or divine. The true vine. Uh, the old covenant and the law were incomplete. They were, they were imperfect. But Christ was perfect. Israel was a type, but Christ is the reality. Amen. And the vine he uses to bring this, this point out. Now, he goes, he continues to say, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And similarly, in verse 6 of our text, he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. Now, some people have taken these passages to say that once a person is saved, they may lose their salvation. Because they claim that these branches were in Christ, but they bore no fruit. Now, <laughs> believe me, that's not it. And what we, do, what we do to overcome these kinds of passages that seem to say something that might be troubling to us is we go to the context. And the context, as William has taught us, is king. So, if we look at what's going on here... Jesus is speaking to 11 people. <laughs> He's speaking to the 11 apostles. Judas has already been sent away. And he is talking to the 11 apostles. Okay. Uh, Jesus had long known about Judas. In fact, back in the beginning of the context, in chapter 13, when Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples, he said this. He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Mm. Jesus is referring to Judas, to the eleven. He knew. Uh, <clears throat> okay, I'm losing my place here. I'll be, I'll be right back. <laughs> okay, now in our verse today, in our context today, he says, you are already clean because of the words which I have spoken to you. So he's reiterating what he told them back in chapter 13. He says, you, 11, that he's talking to, are clean uh, because of the word. Now, it's interesting that he says that because we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that is exactly what Jesus did as well. He, he spoke the words to them which brought them to life. And uh, so it's true not only for us, but it's true for him as well. Uh, conversely, oh, the, the branches that he's talking about here are like those uh, seeds, which we talked about last, uh, last week, Pastor, in his sermon. The seeds that fell on stony ground are the seeds that fell in, amongst the thorns and the thistles. Uh, having no root in them, the seeds that fell on the stony ground sprung up for a while, looked really great, and then withered away. And the seeds that fell amongst the thorns and the thistles were choked out by the cares of this world. Like, like Demas. He explained to us how Demas had loved more the, the world than he did to follow Jesus. And so these are the Judas branches. Uh, they appear to be real, but not being connected to the vine, to the central root, 
They have no life in themselves, and they pass away. So we're not talking about someone who is vitally connected to Christ, not producing fruit and being thrown away. We're talking about people who are not connected and so therefore cannot produce fruit and are taken away and thrown away. Once a person is forgiven by God, they are clean and do not need the bathing of forgiveness again. All that is necessary is to clean the dust and the dirt of daily sins from our feet. A branch that is truly connected to the vine is secure and will never be removed. And we have that promise here. Whoever comes to me, I will never, no, never, not any way, no how, no way, cast out. We have the double negative there in the Greek. It's no, 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 no. Not going to happen. Uh, Spurgeon tells us that there are many such branches as these in Christ's visible church, which are not fruit-bearing branches, and consequently are not partakers of the sap of life and grace which flows into the branches that are vitally joined to the central stem. These fruit fruitless branches are to be removed. So conversely, branches that do not bear fruit are taken away. But he says every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that he may bear more fruit. Our Greek word here is katharisi. And it, it really translates to clean or cleanses. So I, I guess the LSB gets it closest to the Greek here. But the idea that it is cleans and not purges or prunes, well, purges is not bad. But we know that Jesus is talking about people and not bushes. And so katharisi really uh, brings that home in the, in the translation there. Okay, so now I thought it was time to maybe look at a little viticulture. <laughs> so, in wine country, they say, struggling vines make great wines. And wh why is that? Well, when the vines are pruned at the end of the season, it would seem very severe to the average person because they cut off everything. Not only dead branches, but the green leaves, all those things that we think maybe make the plant attractive are removed. Because it's necessary to produce the best grapes. Like these. <laughs> that is a 1982 Lafitte Rothschild. And you can own one of these yourself for a mere 10 grand. Now that's more than a ticket to the Super Bowl. So these, these grapes must have struggled a lot. <laughs> uh, plus that soil in France is pretty amazing. But anyway, the reason for that is that when a grapevine receives an abundance of water and good weather, it grows leaves and shoots. Struggling forces the vine into survival mode. It shifts away from leaves and shoots and towards fruit, where its seeds mean survival, intentionally sacrificing present growth. Jesus knows all this and sees all this. God's pruning can seem quite severe to us as well. He may cut off things we would really like to keep. Things that we might think make us more attractive or more comfortable. But he would have us sacrifice the temporal for the eternal. Jim, does every Christian get pruned at some point in their life? Do the what? Does every Christian get pruned at some point in their life? Absolutely. Absolutely. All of those who are his are chastened and pruned 
And those are for our good, not for, not for evil. Mm-hmm. What he means, uh, his intentions towards us are the best. Now, it's not always a pleasant thing to be under a chastisement or under a pruning. Like I said, pruning sometimes takes away things that we might really want to have. And we don't quite see why this, what's wrong with it. It's lawful. It's not, uh, uh, you know, it's not in the word it's lawful, but it's a hindrance perhaps to our fruit producer. And therefore, it needs to be removed. Next, he tells us that we are to abide. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it uh, abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So it is true that the branches that bear the fruit are connected to the rootstock, to the, to the vine. And otherwise they would produce nothing. They would be cut away and burned. Unpleasant reality. <clears throat> the word abide we have here is meno in the Greek. And it, it, it basically means to stay in one place uh, or to dwell. And it comes from the root word for a house or an abode or a dwelling. Uh, we were talking, Juan last time mentioned that in the King James it says, in my father's house are many mansions. Well, the reason that it says that is because the Latin word is mansio. And mansio in Latin simply meant a house or a dwelling or an abode. It wasn't talking about a grand house or a big house or anything like that. But when it got translated into English in our day and age, it's come to mean a pretty big house. <laughs> But uh, to the Romans and to the Greeks, it just meant a place to live. We are to live in Christ, and Christ is to live in us and through us. That is what he's impressing upon the disciples here with this analogy of the vine and how, uh, how, how connected we have to be to him. Uh, in fact, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> in this metaphor, we must be vitally connected to Christ. If we're not, we will not be fruitful. And that's what Christ is telling them. To stay connected. To abide. To live in Christ and to live in the words of Christ. Could that be a metaphor also for the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You will persevere in me and I in you. That will be that will do it. Now, this is not unlike uh, Paul in Romans when he likens the body. He says our body is made up of all these different parts, but all those parts are together to make one body and to make the body live. All the parts have to be there. And he says in Romans, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So it's a similar type of analogy that he's making here in, in the horticulture. That, that Paul was making in physiognomy. Yeah. So, like you said, this is one big long conversation from chapter 13 to 18, and there's big chunks in there devoted to the coming of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I noted that as you were reading this, that they sort of come together in Romans 8, verses 9 through 11, and that says, But you are not controlled by your sinful nature, you are controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Mm-hmm. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do 
do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you, even so, uh, though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you, and just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies in the same Spirit living within you. Mm-hmm. It seems to be the, a tie-in of this abiding and the Spirit mm-hmm. connecting to Christ. Oh, yeah. <coughs> yeah. And, and that was so important that he tell them that at this point, because they're going to be on their own very soon. And they need to have this. That Everything he says in this whole overall conversation is to strengthen them and to give them the what they need to be able to function on their own. They're totally unaware of what it's going to be like with him gone. They can't even conceive of it in, in many ways. And he knows what it's going to be like. And he knows what they're going to go through. And he's, he's doing everything he can to prepare them for the tasks. That we're, we're such uh, Monday morning quarterback, armchair quarterbacks, because we know what's going to happen in the story, but in the moment of time in the story when they're hearing this, they don't know. Even though he's told them, they don't believe that he's going to go. Yeah, well, and and they would have no way to understand how severe and and how it's going to get. I mean, you could imagine some things, but Christ knows exactly and precisely. Mm. Yeah, and that's why he takes such care to spell out these things to them uh, so that they would understand so if we are connected to the body, and we are connected in the way that we are to be, we can say, yeah, Jesus is the vine, the true source of life for believers. We are branches vitally connected to him, drawing from him the necessary nutrients to survive and flourish. At first glance, it may seem that the branches bear the fruit, because that's where the fruit shows up, is on the <laughs> branches. Oh, look at that branch. It's got four <laughs> clusters on But... Unless it's connected to the rootstock, mm-hmm. uh, you won't. During both of the world wars, cuttings from French vines were brought to America because in World War I, for instance, whole vineyards were just wiped out, mm-hmm. gone. And then uh, somewhere along the way, phylloxera, which is a virus, kind of a bug that gets into vines, they had a serious phylloxera outbreak in France. And once again, they transferred some of the vine stock so the, one of the reasons Napa Valley is such a prolific wine-producing place is a lot of French vines were grafted in to some of the rootstock here. And then American rootstock, when the phylloxera wiped out, wiped out a lot of France, American rootstock was taken over there to graft in to get them going again, too. So it's, there's a lot of intermixture that went on, went on there. Mm, just like what? Yeah. Just like we are. Yeah. Yeah. Crafted in. Yeah. So, yeah, so, okay, this is what Paul said. So we are many, but we are one body in Christ, an individual. So if that's true, we can say with Paul that I can do anything through the one, uh, through, the one through Christ, who gives me strength uh, when we're properly connected uh, to the vine. God's intent for our life, now there's a vine, Uh, God's intent for our lives is that we progress from barrenness to fruitfulness to spiritual abundance. Now, this verse could also give us some heartburn if we didn't stick to context. But he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Okay. 
So on its own, that could slip away and, and, and get a little, uh, a little sticky. But he, he qualifies this back in, in the previous chapter in 14. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son of God can bring glory to the Father. Well, in my name is uh, the key operative phrase there. Uh, anything that we ask that with is within the will, uh, in my name is the important part of this. So we're not talking about Lamborghinis or shoes by product. It's those things which are uh, in the will of God for us. It's those things which are most needful for our fruit production. So we can ask anything that's in the will, that's in the line of what we need to have, and it will be done for us. But we're not going to uh, uh, name it and claim it. We're not going to be prosperity doctrine folks uh, if we know what's, what's right. <laughs> okay, moving right along. <laughs> Finally, in conclusion, he says, My father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, we're probably all asking us by now, uh, what is this fruit? What is he talking about? What does it look like? How do, how do we know if we're producing it or not? Uh, what, what is the fruit? Well, one thing that it is not is it's not notches on our evangelical belt. And it's not the number of good reform books we have in our library. It's this. We prove to be his disciples by obeying his commandments and thus living a godly life before a lost world. The fruit of a godly life. That's the fruit Jesus is talking about. The fruit of a godly life. And finally, he concludes, I, I conclude with this. Mm -hmm. If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you're bearing fruit. It's inevitable. And this was back in John 8, so he told them this up front. Thank you for joining us for this Sunday School session on the I Am Statements of Jesus. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org.